Hello everyone. This is the Listening to the F podcast and today with me is an amazing guest, Myra Jackson. I'm going to give my introduction short because I think it's way more interesting to hear it from her. So Myra Jackson is often described as a Renaissance woman. Indeed, not only is she an electrical engineer, but she also studied theology and spirituality. She's now an expert of the UN Harmonies with Nature program and was awarded the title of Diplomat of the Biosphere by the Stockholm Resilience Center. And for me, to be honest with you, she is one of the best ambassadors for the earth. I have to say, each time I listen to her, I feel like I'm listening to the voice of Gaia. So Myra, welcome. Thank you for being here with us today. Oh my, and what a way to introduce someone, really. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here with us. So my first question, Myra, is a little bit cliche, but I think it would help our listeners to get to know you better. So could you explain to us your work with the UN's um, Harmony with Nature program and as a diplomat of the biosphere? I have to say, what a title. And um, how do you apply the practice of listening to the earth to your work? All right. Well, I just captured three questions you've asked me, Licia. So mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little naughty. <laughs> do you mind if I'm a little naughty today? Please. <laughs> because I think we're in a time in which this is what's required, that we, we step up, right? And mm-hmm. speak from the deepest place we can speak from. And I have the freedom to do that. And the simple reason is I liberated myself to do this work at the level that I feel the deepest call. Uh, and that has, that's where this deep listening impulse really comes from. And it's grown over the course of my life. So the reason that the diplomat of the biosphere and harmony with nature is something that I lend my attention and my energy to is because it says something about how I see my relationship with the earth and the the way that I can serve the earth and all of her life forms, because that's the way I see my life. I see my life as being in service to the planetary being, to the earth itself, and to all her life forms. Now that's a big job. And I've been thinking about it. How did this get to be so uh, audacious, right? And I, I realized I want, in putting this in context, I lived on top of a hill where I had a 360 view of the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, wow. the Palomar and Cuyamaca Mountains out east and to the south Mexico, right at the border of San Diego, California, where I lived, and north, this expanse of city and farmlands, farmlands that used to be occupied by the Japanese, that were lands they grew and farmed on. And so I thought big, you think big when you have landscapes like that. And so when the image of Earthrise came into my life, this was 1968, these pictures from space, I was 10 years old. And it took this beautiful sky that I laid down on the ground and gazed upon. It brought it to life in a new way. Now I could see my home where I lived 
in a whole new way. And I felt a part of that sky above that Milky Way. And now I knew my place within that. And so the context here is so important to understand is that my whole life has been leading to a place in which I could represent life here, my life, and my life with all other beings in some way that had meaning. So through the course of my electrical engineering years and the work that I spent in as an organizational development professional, really working with the, the best scientists in the world, all Nobel laureate track scientists who are working on mapping the human genome and on viral uh, sciences and the like in the universities, the top drawer universities across the United States, that love for the sciences, that deep exposure to nature that was uh, richly available to me as a youngster was showing up in my career choices. But by the time 2004 came along and the big Indonesian tsunami came, it was late in the year, it was like December, around the holidays. I had not long been in Indonesia and the areas that I had walked were wiped out. There were over 228,000 people, Licia who died from that tsunami. But what struck me was that the elephants knew and the elephants went uphill. And the few people who paid attention to the movement of the elements followed the elephants up the hills and their lives were spared. And I said, who are we? What hubris do we walk upon the earth with that we do not recognize, that we no longer have the sensitivity to be natural living beings in, in an earth that gives us information all the time about what is about to occur. Elephants and then all other creatures still have the sensitivity. My own grandmother had that sensitivity. And, I, and it was shaking in me that that is what I need to help with help us restore the sacred bonds with nature so that we can restore the doorways to our senses that allows us to make sense of our world and act in sensible ways. And so this is the context. And it's really richly on the tip of my heart right now because this morning, as I come into this interview with you, mm -hmm. I've just received a draft of a resolution that I've been working on in the region of the Mississippi River, the great river Mississippi in the United States of America. That is the source of watershed for 32 states in this union. Oh. And I am working on a project to reconnect people to the river. And the resolution that I have the first draft on from my buddy in crime and a brilliant city attorney who has retired and given her anything I asked for. She takes her legal acumen and her great heart to the pen, puts pen to paper and gives me a first draft that helps me articulate the values that people have for the earth, 
into language, into resolution that ultimately can frame law. And it's exciting to be living with these opportunities. And these opportunities are my way of carrying that title of diplomat of the biosphere. Well, Myra, thank you so much for sharing such fantastic news with us today. So my next question would be a little bit, well, you gave some of those elements already, but if you can help us trace back some of the key moments along your life's path that led you to that immense passion and caring and ability to listen to nature. You mentioned already the 360 degree view you had. Wow, <laughs> that's breathtaking. <laughs> and you mentioned also your grandparents. Can you tell us a little more? Oh, well, yes. And uh, thank you. Thank you for going back to that because it brings up another real deeper message here. You have to understand that I walked with a grandmother who, though she was visiting us in California, and she knew other parts of the, of the United States better, having come to us from Michigan and having spent her early life in cities near the Mississippi River, from Louisiana to Missouri to Mississippi, before she ended up north with my grandfather. And here she comes to California, and I'm walking with her, walking with her, all through the canyons around the five acres of this hilltop property that we lived in. And she is just giving me the rundown on what's edible, what's not, what's medicinal, what's not. Mm -hmm. And I saw how she cared for plants and on our future walks along the path, how she kept track of their growth, cleared debris. She, you know, it, it was just so natural. And walking with her was like, um, the best classroom one could ever be in, right? Mm. And sometimes she would lift her gaze from the earth and point out what was happening in the skies. You see, when you have ocean and land meeting, there's a lot of in interesting things that happen in a hilltop uh, uh, setting that I lived in, a lot of microclimates. Small animals, snakes, spiders, uh, all kinds of things, you know, they come alive. And this climate, we don't have a lot of seasonal variation. So it was interesting because you could clearly see that this hilltop that I lived on, through my grandmother's eyes, she said, you know, this was once below the ocean. Wow. And sure enough, you know, all over, there were seashells all over our land. And it should have been obvious, right? Right. My grandmother didn't get that from books, book learning. She came from a generation of generations that understood their world in connection with the earth. Mm -hmm. Their identity, their way of living was very much connected to knowing and paying attention to what was going on with the animals and the plants as an indicator of who and where they were. And so I didn't know I was getting, just through being with her and observing her, this incredible uh, awareness of what it is to walk on the earth with a sense of connection. Wow. My parents saw my interest in that and they fed it. So I had a chance to spend time in the sciences very early 
spending time at tide pools, fossil hunting, and all those kinds of activities, and became a young astronomer. So I did a lot of sky watching too. I've been looking at life through the planetary, a planetary lens for since being very, very young. And I think big. I think in terms of Earth's systems. Right. Thank you so much. What an inspiring background. It felt like you were surrounded by listeners of the Earth <laughs> throughout mm -hmm. your whole childhood. Well, I wonder if I have children, if this is what I should, uh, you know, it's very inspiring, you know, you're giving me some ideas now. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear you say that. You know, we have uh, seven generations living now. We still have people born in the early 1920s. Yes, they're in their late 90s, some 100. And I've met some of these individuals. And what we need at this time, I feel, is to have all generations with their eyes on what are the next seven generations will be and what we will leave for them. So we're at a significant choice point, I feel, on the planet now. And when you have all that generational power turning in the direction of the future, of now and the future, that can be a very powerful lift given to this great leap that I feel humanity needs to take. Well, thank you so much. My last question for you would be, um, what message would you like to share with our listeners as today we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of Earth Day amid this global pandemic? Is there a message you would like to share? You know, uh, the Earth has a metric that I feel it's time that we take notice of. Right now, in this global pause, I believe we're being hosted to a pilot study that's being led by Earth herself. She is showing us right now how quickly the Earth's atmosphere and waters can be recovered. And the variable that has changed has been our habits, our human habits on the planet and the way that we walk have there's been an intervention, right? We've been, we've been set aside. We've been sent to our rooms. <laughs> and we're in a still point. And in this time in which this pause is occurring, what are we seeing? We're seeing wildlife rebound. We're seeing the oceans clear. We're seeing the air clear. In my work at Stockholm Resilience Center, on planetary boundaries. Right now, some of those boundaries are coming back into safe zones, what we call the safe operating space of Earth. What kind of humanity would restart doing the same old, same old mm -hmm. after such a demonstration of how quickly we can see these systems rebound? We've been in years, 50 years and more of global meetings trying to solve the problem. And in, in essence, in a twinkling of an eye, the earth has shown us. The real answer is, let's make peace with the environment. Let's cooperate. Let us harmonize our behavior with that of the earth and drop this whole idea of survival for just a few. And let's just follow the earth. 
The earth has a design that's clearly based on thriving. We have an incredible bounty here on the earth and living in harmony with that, within the boundaries of that, can set all life into new levels of exuberance. For I really do feel the pattern and the design of this earth is one of paradise. And I would invite everyone to begin imagining what that looks like and what kind of values does that call up in us as humans walking. I see it and I feel it and I taste it. And I am hopeful that we can recover our senses and walk in greater harmony to thrive with, with the earth. It's in us. We're wired to do so. And it's time that we step into that, those capacities that are innate within us. So I, you can tell I feel a lot about this. It's very strong in me. And I tell you, I, I must really also recognize a group of seven-year-olds. They were seven in the year 2013 that I met in Bhutan. Bhutan, a country where the elements are roar, they're so alive. And the elements are alive and in their purity because the people recognized those elements in the way they live. And so I got a chance to meet seven-year-olds who had a deep connection to the environment, such a connection that if you ask them in the time that I arrived, what made them sad, it was seeing trash. They had never seen trash before in their country. And these children felt they were impeded by the trash they began seeing on their school grounds. So they took responsibility for that. They took 100% responsibility for the trash. They went to the dump. They saw that the wrappers of the favorite foods they had come to enjoy in recent years were all in the dump and now flowing on their playgrounds. So they themselves determined that they would stop having, bringing food that were in wrappers, that they would go back to the traditional foods and they would allow one day, one day a week, when if anyone wanted to, they could bring packaged food. But if they did, that they would take responsibility for making sure that trash did not go into the landfill. So they repurposed all the trash, created products out of them like meditation mats and pencil holders Seven years old, mm. the children could put you into meditation within 30 seconds, and you could feel the quality of their concentrated awareness. The children were doing what we were all born to do, listen to the earth, and that's listening with all of our senses. So our taste and our sensibilities would know when we were going off the rails. So this is a long story to share, but... I must. <laughs> it's, not, it's not difficult. We're definitely wired to, be, to walk harmoniously on the planet. And the young kids with their sensitivity reminded me of that. And I thank them to this day. They're now 14 and 15. Oh. And I stay connected to these, these young people who showed me the way. Thank you so much, Myra finishing up with uh, this image of kids picking up the, the, the trash is extremely 
uplifting. I knew you will elevate my mood, but more than that, I think you elevated my heart and soul at the same time. Um, so thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, thank you very, very much, Alicia. That's this week's episode of Listening to the Earth Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to join us in two weeks for another episode. J'écoute la terre.